This is Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. I'm your host, AJ Fraser, and in this series, we'll be doing a deep dive into what it means to create a truly transformative educational experience without stepping foot in the classroom. Whether we, as a community, are reaching out to potential students yearning for a meaningful education from abroad, or we're collectively dealing with an uncertain and unprecedented global trauma that requires us to stay close to home, we can still pull together as an academic community and work towards a collective mission of a high-quality and accessible education, building a more vibrant future for our island. In coming episodes, I'll be interviewing some of our best and brightest around strategies and pedagogical approaches to online teaching and learning, and how we can make the best of the newest technologies available to us to bridge the digital gap. In today's episode, I spoke with Dr. Peter McIntyre, professor of psychology in the School of Science and Technology, an award winner for teaching excellence from the Atlantic Association of Universities and our Cape Breton University teaching chair of innovation in teaching spaces and resources. Peter's been one of CBU's champions for the merits of online learning environments for over a decade. We're pleased to speak with him about motivation and the move to a remote learning experience. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm a professor of psychology. I've been teaching at CBU since 1994, so it's been quite a while now. Um, Typically, I teach third and fourth year undergrad courses. I've also taught in the School of Business, a couple of graduate classes there. Um, I teach typically courses on um, research methods, SPSS data analysis, the honors thesis. Um, But online, what I teach are two courses called positive psychology and a second course called motivation and emotion. Can you talk about your experience teaching online and how developing courses for online learning has affected your regular teaching load? Well, when online first started, we, um, we weren't doing it as part of our regular load. And at one point, um, the university decided to move in the direction of doing more online courses. And it was quite, um, quite vigorous in saying, you know, the online courses have to be equivalent to the on-campus courses. They have to be treated in the same way. A course is a course. And so at that point, um, we became, you know, it became an option to do your courses online or on campus. And at that point, um, there was also some pressure on psychology to have some of our courses being offered through the BSC or sorry, BACS program so that they could complete their degree completely online. So they could do a three year undergraduate with a psychology major online. So they needed some upper level courses. And that's how I got started into doing the online courses through CBU. What would be the difference, in your opinion, between what we consider a correspondence course and how we view online and distance courses today? From a faculty perspective, I really did not like the correspondence courses. I didn't like how how we had to run them. We basically wrote up some questions and mailed them to students and they would mail them back. Uh, and it just wasn't a very satisfying way of teaching. There, there was no personality in it. There was no no sense of you know dynamism between the, the faculty and the students. The, the stuff that you get on campus and in the classroom, it was just completely missing. And so I, I didn't find it was a very good experience. It was really second or third best Um, It was a way to finish a course, but it wasn't much more than that. Um, Now, compare that to what we can do online now with the various tools that we have available. There's just no comparison. Um, And in fact, I I would make the argument that in some ways online teaching 
is more rewarding than on-campus in-person teaching. You can you can do more for more of the students um, because there's nowhere to hide online. If you put up a forum and a student doesn't answer, you know they didn't answer. But if you ask a question during class, there may be 30 students in the room, but only one of them will answer and only one can answer at a time. You post a question online and now all 30 have to answer that question. So in that sense, you can you can do more online with student interaction than you may even be able to do in the classroom. Have your psychology students adapted to online learning environments easily or even with enthusiasm? Yeah, that, that's a good question. There, there's, a divi- there's a diversity of responses. Um, I, have, uh, I have my students do a midterm check-in with me, so they give a little mini course evaluation just for me. And one of them said that she was really reluctant to take anything online because she had heard all it was was you'd have a few PowerPoints to look at, a textbook to read, and then testing. And to her, that's what an online course was. And you know, my online course tends to be a little bit more than that. And so she found it much more engaging than she thought it was going to be. Um, so there's still that idea out there that, that online courses are, are really a lot like the old correspondence courses where, you know, you post some stuff, students do a, a test and that's the end of it. So, um, if that's what a course looks like, I can see why students would not be very interested in taking it. And I can see why faculty wouldn't be very interested in teaching that. It's just not very engaging. But when you take advantage of some of the tools that we have, like the online forums, um, the use of video, the way we can do votes online so people can express their opinions, take a stand on an issue. You can have various types of presentations. Students can post PowerPoints. They can post Prezi presentations. They can do recordings. You can do your own voice recordings. There's so many things that you can put in an online course that in I think as a collection, they can make it even better than what you can do on campus. Back in 2014, CBU hosted the, the STELI conference, the National Teaching and Learning Higher Education Conference. And shortly before that, um, I was putting together my positive psych course. And it occurred to me that, you know, as professionals, as faculty, we learn from each other in conference formats. That's kind of our continuing education, if you will. And so I thought to myself, can I bring some elements of a conference into the online format for my students? And then it occurred to me that, you know, it would make a lot of sense to have guest speakers, right? You know, you have the plenary speakers coming in, the big names in the field. Why would I lecture about Barbara Fredrickson's theory when I can have Barbara Fredrickson lecture about her own theory? She's much more articulate than I am, and she can explain her theory in a much more credible way than I ever could. So I went out and I found videos, and I found videos to match each of the content weeks that we were going to do. So I have this big name speaker coming in as the guest speaker every week, and the whole week is centered around that guest speaker. So they have that as the core. So And the videos... Some of the rules were that the person had to you know, speak for around 20 minutes. You don't want an online video of, a, of an hour or more. So bite-sized, you know, TED Talk-sized um, videos, and there's plenty of those available for what I wanted to do. So that became the centerpiece, the, the guest speaker of the week. And then that ties into a textbook chapter. So they have the textbook, they're expected to read the chapter. And then there may be supplementary readings that I give them as well. And there's typically a variety of those. So you can have something from a more popular thing like Psychology Today or a more academic article or even a research-based um, empirical article. So you can pick and choose the types of things that you want the students to see and, and what you want them to read. And then um, after the guest speaker has made their presentation and they've gone through the, the readings in the textbook and the other types of readings that they have, they're expected to interact with each other in a forum, an online forum. and 
this is where they, they take what we call the coffee break. So the weekly coffee break is your reaction to what you're learning, your reaction to what you're hearing. Do you like the guest speaker? Are they controversial? Do you agree or disagree? And then the other thing that I put in the forums is that the students have to relate the theory that they're learning to their personal experience. So somewhere in the forum question requires them to, to connect their, their online learning for the week with something that's happened to them in the past, some, some bit of their own experience. And then to top it all off, they're also expected to draw in theory from prior weeks. So the course design is not strictly hierarchical, but there's definitely a progression of topics. And so the early topics can influence your discussion of the later ones. And it was quite deliberately designed that way so that we talk about things like emotion, which cover you know, a wide range of experiences. We talk about those first, and then we can draw on that theory as we talk about later topics in the course. And so when I looked at how to design a week, I thought, okay, you've got the video, um, you've got the, the online uh, readings, you've got the textbook readings, you've got the student interaction. And the only thing that was missing there was, was me, uh, the idea that a professor also brings something to the course. And so I would record um, either narrated PowerPoints to help guide students through what they were about to see and do. I might do an audio only, like just a little MP3 file that explained to them, you know, the best way to proceed through the week. Um, my own take on it, what was especially important. If there was anything in a video I especially wanted them to pay attention to, I would highlight it in that little audio clip so that they wouldn't, you know, be just clicking on things and wondering why they're there. They would have a, a, the guidance of the faculty member to, to show them why you're reading these and why you're, you're hearing the speaker and how that all fits together. And, and then you can put in things that you expect them to do in their forum posts, because the forum posts are a huge part of the grade. It's 40% in that particular class. This episode of Beyond the Class is raising awareness for the Perseverance Student Relief Fund, a bursary created to support CBU students facing hardship during the COVID-19 pandemic. If you'd like to make a donation, go to cbu.ca slash donors slash support fund to fill out your donation details. Every little bit can help, and with your donation and spreading the word, we can help our students get through in these trying times. So please remember, cbu.ca slash donors slash support fund. Now back to our conversation. How do you build continuity and regularity into an online course? What's the importance of doing so in the early stages of course development? Sure. Um, one, of the, one of the things that, that we've done with that particular class is make students, um, students are very familiar with the pacing of the class. Uh, every week is roughly, it's, it's about the same structure as the week prior. So we always begin on a Monday morning and end on a Sunday night. Um, students have the full week to do the, the forum posts and so on. And what I found through some experience is that when you get them early, um, you give them some bonus activities, for example, in the first week to hook their interest. That really promotes engagement. Um, the last thing I think you want to do is to have you know, things saved up for the end. If students aren't participating regularly, it's very easy for them to get lost in the online type of teaching because you know, they need to, to know that they can check in at a particular time. 
Um, I send them emails. Um, Monday morning always begins with an email from me so that the students know what our topic is going to be. And in that, in that email, I try to tell them why I'm enthusiastic about that topic, what it is that I find really interesting about it, and hope that they find interesting as well. So in a sense, it's kind of like a movie trailer where you're, you're trying to gauge their interest or, or generate some interest in, in there. And every now and then, um, just as a surprise to, to change it up, um, I'll introduce something on a Wednesday. So a special activity, a special bonus activity that's live for a limited time, those kind of things. Now, typically, they're not worth many grades. It's just to add a little, little spice to keep the students interested as they, they kind of, you know, get into the middle of a class. They, they have a lot of competing interests. So um, you need the regularity so they, they can structure their day, they can structure their week. You know, many of them are working outside or they have other courses, so they have to structure their time. And sometimes they'll be able to devote a couple of hours here and there through the week. And that's fine. That's, that's perfectly acceptable. Um, but every now and then you want to spice it up with a little bit of something extra so that they can do that in addition to the regular pattern that they, they come to expect. So I have found, and, and this is probably one of the strongest bits of advice I could give, is you have to get them early. Um, if you get them in the first week and then maintain that momentum into the second week and third week, then you've got them. Um, and very few drop away from the course after that. But if you don't catch them in the first week, it's very, very difficult to catch them afterward. They, uh, they're just used to putting it off. It doesn't become part of their regular week. And if that happens, it's very difficult to break into their routine and, and start getting them interested in your course. So yeah, early and often uh, as far as, as student engagement goes. Is it important to inject some of your personality into the course as the instructor? Uh, what are some of the benefits of adding yourself into that learning experience? Uh, you asked earlier about the uh, the correspondence course experience, and what I found really disappointing about that was that I couldn't put my my own personality, my own take on things. As a student, I always loved it when a professor would, you know, make a comment about some something we were reading, like, you know, you can read this, but don't pay any attention to it because no one believes that anymore. Those sorts of comments really made me feel like I was gaining professional insight into the discipline, and I just loved it when professors would do that. So. What I would try to do with, with my students in class was the same sort of thing. Like, you know, here's here's a theory, but, you know, nobody really believes this anymore, but we need this for historical reasons so that you can understand the reactions against it. So Sigmund Freud comes to mind. There's a lot of people don't find uh, much value in Sigmund Freud anymore. So you kind of have to convince them that there is something in there. That a lot of why people are interested in psychology might be because of, you know, the way Freud gathered people's interests early on, even though we don't really subscribe to that, the details of the theories anymore. So how do you do that in an online world? How do you create your own personality and inject you into the course in the online environment? So, so we've created ways of, of you know, doing audio recordings or the, the narrated PowerPoints, and sometimes it's in a text. Um, but I always try to find a way of putting my own spin on a particular week's material so that the students aren't just looking at you know, a dry PowerPoint or a text. Um, they have some perspective on it. Um, so they know why I've chosen it, because I'll tell them that either in the email that I send to them or I'll list it as one of the readings. You know, Here's a, here's a guide to what you're reading and, and why I think it's important and how it fits in. So they have, they have that perspective from the faculty. And in course evaluations that I get back, I, I do see students appreciating that. Uh, they may not always agree with me and I encourage them to disagree. And, you know, in their forum posts, they can say, you know, uh, Professor, you said this, but I, I have a different take on it. That doesn't match my experience. 
And I love it when they do that. And I encourage them to do that in my comments back to them. So it's a matter of, of you know, engaging my own interests and also engaging the student's interest as you might in a classroom with a really good student where you have a nice conversation. But the beauty of the online is you have multiple conversations. You're not limited by the 90 minutes that you have in class with them. So it's essentially more than one person can speak at a time and you can listen to 30 people instead of just listening to one person at a time in the class. So in that sense, you can get more of this interaction between your personality and the students take on the material. And if you give them the freedom in the forum discussions, uh, which is what I try to do, to bring in their own experience, then you can start to see how their experience matches the theories they're reading, doesn't match the theories they're reading. Sometimes you get a really inspirational idea that might even turn into a research project because the student makes a comment and think, oh yeah, that is an exception to the rule. Let's see if we can study that. What advice would you give as a faculty member new to online course design and what pitfalls would you avoid? One of the things I learned through painful experience um, and through many, many comments over the years in course evaluations is that, that students seem to do this, this arithmetic in their mind about how many points uh, are associated with how much time. So if, if we give them an assignment that takes a half hour, how many points should that be worth? And the students seem to come into the class with a very clear idea that, you know, so many minutes is worth so many marks. So if you're doing a, you know, a weekly assignment and you make it worth one or two points and the students say, well, that's, that's not worth my time. And so they'll blow it off. They'll just ignore it. Um, if you make it worth too much, then as a faculty member, you think, mm, I'm, I'm overvaluing this. So in course design, you really think about, you know, how much time you're taking from the students because they all have busy lives. You're taking time away from something else that they should be and could be doing in order to do your class. And how do you value that? And so one thing that I've, I've done very deliberately over the years and, and refined it is to put value in those forum posts that, that I talked about earlier. Uh, they started off being worth 10 or 20%. Now it's up to a full 40% of the course grade comes from those forums because students spend so much time doing them. They basically over the years demanded that I give them enough credit for doing them. And when I look back, um, there were some students writing you know, 20, 25,000 words over the course of a term in those forums. They were, they were posting mini essays every single week. And the students who are doing it really well, who are really engaged, they get a lot out of it. And I wanna make sure that my course evaluation, you know, the, the evaluation scheme I create, puts value back for the students. So, so that went through experience, went from a relatively minor part of the course evaluation to a major part. And now the, the final exam has shrunk from 30% to 20 or 15%. And, and it really, it has less value as I go along because the students don't value it as much. Um, so it's a much better experience to put the grades where you think the student's learning is going to be. And for me, I think the students are learning more from those forum posts than they do from studying for the exam. So I've really reweighted things over the years. And a lot of that was from feedback from the students telling me that, you know, I worked so hard for this, but it's only worth two points. It's like, well, I, I can make it worth four points. I can make it worth five points. And that was a real eye-opening experience for me uh, to put the grades into the activities that you really want the students and value for the students. So that was, that was one thing I learned is that um, you have to put the grades, you have to measure what you value and value what you measure. Uh, and then the other thing is, is I would early on overpack the course. Um, you know, whenever you're going on vacation, they advise you, you know, pack your suitcase and then take half of it out. That's not bad advice for an online course. 
Um, as you go through preparing things in advance and, and finding articles and finding links and finding activities that you think the students are going to like, you know, you assemble them all and maybe take half of them away because the students aren't going to have time to do them all. And even though that you're interested in it, um, you can pretty much guarantee that you're the most interested of anybody in that class. You're the one who's most interested in it as faculty member. The students are almost never as interested as you are. So even though you might think, hey, I can give them this link and I can give them that activity and I can give them this reading, at the end of the day, they're time pressured. They have multiple courses, they have babies, they have lives, they have caregiving responsibilities, they have jobs. They just don't have the time to do everything that you do as a faculty member, and they're just not as interested as you are. So one of the analogies that's kind of um, inspired me over the years is to, to think of it as a gardener, right? So in a garden, you, you, don't, you don't plant every inch of, of fertilized soil that you have. You have to be judicious in what you plant. And then even as you plant things, you, know, you watch them grow and then you prune them. So you pick what's best, you pick what's, what's salvageable, you pick what's most interesting. And so as you're assembling a course, you know, um, I found it's, it's easy to, you know, put all of your resources in there, put all the links, put all the activities, everything that you might want them to do in a week. And then like a good gardener, judiciously prune away the things that, that might not be of most value. And sometimes it's difficult to let them go. Um, but ultimately, you're dealing with students who are under a lot of time pressure in their other lives. And if you overload them, you can lose them. Um, they start to ignore things. They don't trust that, that you're guiding them through. So you need that reasonable amount of activity for them. You need to, to guide them through why it's important. Um, and then you know, you're turning it over to them to make use of that. And if you've done a good job of growing and then pruning, you can really you know, um, get students focused in on what you need to focus on rather than just overloading them with links and things that they might be interested in, um, because I've never found that that works things I might be interested in, things I might want to offer them is just, uh, hey, if you're interested, take a look at this. I found very, very few students really ever took a look at those things. They're just not, they just don't have the time typically. Lastly, Peter, as we move our materials online and work towards strategies that encourage and motivate students to work remotely, do you see online course development as an iterative process? Developing your course over time is a very good way to think about what you're doing, especially for anyone who's new to online. Um, you're not you're not going to get it right the first time. You're going to make mistakes the first time and probably many times after that. Um, and then just when you start to think you've got it right, the students change. So um, it's always a course, it's always a, a process of, of you know growing and pruning so that, that you you never feel like you're quite finished. There's always you know a, a newer reading. There's always a newer video that you can post. There's always a different way to phrase the question. Um, yeah, so so in terms of growing it, um, I would really recommend start small. Don't don't overpack it the way I did early on, um, because that frustrates the students and it frustrates the faculty member as well. Um, so start small with the core of what you want to do, and then build that over time. Not forgetting that pruning process, because as you add in, you know, new things that you want to add, you also have to consider whether older things have to be taken away. Um, you can't focus on everything, so. In terms of developing a course, it's a multi-year endeavor. It's not a one-shot deal. It's not a set it and forget it sort of sort of thing. So, as you you know find what works and what doesn't, um, you can refine your your techniques over the years. Uh, and I think sometimes faculty put too much pressure on themselves to get it perfect the first time. Um, one thing that I found through both on-campus and online teaching 
is that if you're upfront with the students and explain why you're introducing things, why you're putting activities into the course, if it doesn't match their needs, if it doesn't match what, what they value and it doesn't really contribute to their learning, they'll let you know because they're on the journey with you, right? They're not, it, it's not a, an opposition. You're, you're, not, um, you're not opposing them. You're trying to guide them, but you also have to be willing to be guided by them. So as the students give you feedback, you know, this, this reading was too difficult or this, this video didn't make sense or this didn't fit with the rest or this activity took too much time, really you know, be a critical evaluator of your own work to see whether those comments are something you need to take to heart. And as a faculty, you're designing your course year to year. So you know, try not to fall in love with what you've done and what you've created because there's probably a better way to do it. And that's always going to be true. There's always going to be a slightly better way to do it next year than you did it the year before. And as you go along, the course gets better and better. If it's rough at the beginning and the students know you're at the beginning, they're on the ride with you. They're not going to be harsh as long as you're receptive to their feedback. And that, I think, has been one of the things that's really um, salvaged some of the courses. When I've made mistakes, I've given readings that were too long or too complex or beyond the level that the students were at, and they let me know then I would make the adjustment. I would try to do it right away, even within the week. If the student wrote back and said, no, this reading is too much, um, I would be willing to find a simpler version of that same idea and post it telling the students who hadn't read it yet, look, I'm sorry, I went I went too far with this one. It's more of a graduate level than an undergraduate level. So, so let's replace that with this other reading that I hope you can read. If you've read the first one, that's great. If you struggled with that, try this new one. And the students have always been appreciative of that. That, you know, I can say I've made a mistake. Essentially, that's me admitting I've made a mistake. And the students appreciate that. They, they never take that away. They don't downgrade a faculty member for saying something like that. They, they really do seem to value that, you know, uh, two-way reciprocity. This is great, Peter. Thank you so much for talking with us. All right. Thanks, AJ. Uh, have a good weekend. You've been listening to Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. I want to give a special thanks to Chris Jones and Herbie Sakalaskis for their enduring encouragement and technical support, Terry McDonald for his words of wisdom and endless conversation, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. You're only at this point if you want to make a better, more enriching experience for your students, and you deserve a pat on the back for that. Don't forget to go to cbu.ca slash donors slash support fund to contribute to the Perseverance Student Relief Fund. And make sure to check back for more episodes relating to remote teaching and learning. Take care of yourself. <laughs>